You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, February 7th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Native Americans, migrant workers, wildfire survivors, new state legislation aims to bestow new protections on each of these groups. The California Report looks into what they stand to gain. After regional news and weather, KVMR's Felton Pruitt gets the latest on the fight over a Tahoe resort development, and economist Gary Zimmerman schools Paul Emery on the likely result if the country defaults on its debt. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Native American tribes from across the state are gathering at the state capitol this morning for the first in the state Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Day of Action. They're calling on lawmakers to support two new bills and a $200 million investment to build programs and services that will prevent Indigenous women and girls from becoming missing and murdered. Joseph James is the chairman of the Yurok tribe in Northern California. This has been an ongoing crisis for years. California has the largest, most diverse Native population in the entire United States. We also have, California has the fifth highest caseload of MIP in the United States. That's why he's supporting Assembly Bills 34 and 273, both introduced by Assemblymember James Ramos this year. AB 34 would establish tribal officers as state peace officers, allowing them to enforce state law and file cases in state court. The second bill, AB 273, would require counties and courts to notify tribes, key family members, and attorneys when a Native child in the foster care system goes missing. James says the foster care system has become a pipeline for missing and murdered Indigenous people. Half Moon Bay farm workers and other vulnerable immigrants who speak up about workplace abuses could get some protection under a new Biden administration policy that would shield undocumented immigrants from deportation if they cooperate with labor investigations. KQED's immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks, reports. When Governor Gavin Newsom visited Half Moon Bay right after the mass shooting that killed seven workers on two mushroom farms, he was there to offer solace and to speak out against gun violence. But he also wound up shining a spotlight on the living and working conditions of the victims. Some of you should see where these folks are living. The conditions they're in. Living in shipping containers. Living in shipping containers. Folks getting nine bucks an hour. That's far below the California minimum wage of 1550. Within hours, the state launched an investigation. But speaking up about mistreatment can be risky for farm workers. Most are here illegally, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. Farm workers specifically are just in a, in a very vulnerable situation. That's Patricia Ortiz, who runs immigration legal services at the nonprofit California Rural Legal Assistance. She says farm workers can be isolated from information they need. So in terms of like their rights and what recourses they have to be able to enforce those rights. Now she has a new tool that might encourage undocumented workers to speak up for their rights. 
Last month, the federal government announced a two-year protection from deportation plus a work permit on a case-by-case basis to unauthorized immigrants who help in labor investigations. It's called deferred action. And advocates are spreading the word. This week, the California Labor Federation is doing a training in L.A., and Bay Area lawyers are holding a video call about the new program. One of those lawyers, Sergio Benavides, says the Biden approach to labor protections for immigrants is long overdue. To me, this memo represents a real 180 from the Trump era. The Biden administration is saying, hey, workers, we want to help you. We want to protect you. Please come out of the work. It's okay." But Benavides cautions immigrant workers should consult an attorney before they apply. The new program is not a path to a green card or citizenship. And he says there are visas that can help some crime victims get permanent legal status. But sometimes people come to us and they're like desperate, like anything. Is there anything at all available where I can get a real work permit? And so I would definitely share this as a potential uh, opportunity. Meanwhile, Newsom administration officials say they're working to be sure community leaders around Half Moon Bay know about the new immigration relief that could help some workers there. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Support for The California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. A delegation from California is in Washington, D.C. this week, lobbying for a bill that would provide federal tax exemptions for wildfire survivors. The bipartisan bill was reintroduced last month by North State Congressman Doug LaMalfa and his Bay Area colleague, Democrat Mike Thompson. It would allow for those who've been compensated by the Fire Victim Trust, which was set up by Pacific Gas and Electric to help process and resolve claims for victims of wildfires, to not have to pay federal taxes on the settlement money. Stephen Crowder is a council member in the town of Paradise, which was devastated by the 2018 campfire. You get 45% of your payouts, your attorney takes 30%, and the federal government will come in and take up to another 30%. doesn't leave much for them to rebuild their lives. Crowder is part of the delegation in the nation's capital. Last year, Governor Newsom signed legislation that would exempt survivors from paying state taxes on the money received from the Fire Victims Trust. Californians recovering from a deadly series of storms last month that caused mudslides and floods can access financial assistance from the state and federal government. At a virtual forum yesterday, Senator Alex Padilla highlighted that federal funds for housing, repairs, and disaster relief are available for residents regardless of citizenship status. These storms also serve as a reminder that uh, as our climate continues to change, we're going to continue to experience uh, extreme weather events and natural disasters, both with increased frequency and increased severity. Uh, This has become the new normal. 
Officials encourage people to call or even better, visit their local assistance center. Small business loans are also available along with a helpline for insurance-related questions. More information is available online on Senator Padilla's website. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, February 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, at its meeting earlier today, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously voted to award Bobo Construction a contract to renovate the overcrowded and outdated McCourtney Road Transfer Station. A news release from the county said the $22 million project will repurpose the existing footprint of the transfer station. The county website states that the project will add a new access road and entrance scale facilities to reduce wait time and traffic delays. It will also bring the facility into compliance with the state's mandate for collection of organic food waste. The plan also includes improving access to the household hazardous waste and recycling area and a new transfer station building with more unloading bays. The release said construction on the project will begin in the spring and end in fall of next year. The transfer station is expected to remain open during construction. The project has been in the county's capital facilities plan for more than 10 years. The county accepted bids on the project last year and then rejected them due to what it called market instability and a funding gap. The project was then rebid. Governor Gavin Newsom is asking the federal government to investigate why Californians are receiving unusually high natural gas bills this winter. This comes from today's Sacramento Bee. In a letter to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Newsom requested that the agency find out if the eye-popping increases in utility bills are the result of what he called market manipulation, anti-competitive behavior, or other anomalous activities. Wholesale natural gas prices in California are up 63% since October, according to Bloomberg News. Newsom said an early burst of cold winter weather does not entirely explain the price spike. Last week, the State Public Utilities Commission voted to fast-track the release of credits to help Californians struggling to pay high utility bills. Newsom acknowledged this week that those credits would provide only temporary relief. Now to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service. This week is shaping up to be dry and mostly sunny after the morning chill wears off. There's a slight chance for light precipitation Friday into Saturday and again early next week. In Nevada City and Grass Valley this evening, mostly clear with a low around 37. Wednesday morning will be frosty, otherwise sunny Wednesday with a high near 60. Wednesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 38. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe tonight, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 20. Wednesday will be sunny, with a high in the mid-40s and a low around 20. Tonight in Sacramento and Woodland will be mostly cloudy with patchy frost and lows in the mid-30s. Wednesday morning, expect areas of frost and fog before 9 a.m., otherwise mostly sunny, with a high near 61 and a low around 37. You are listening to the Evening News on KVMR. 
For its opponents, a long-standing plan to develop 94 acres in Olympic Valley by Altera Mountain Company is like something out of a zombie movie. Placer County approved the development in 2016, but an appeals court reversed some of its actions in 2021. Now the proposal is back for more analysis of its effect on the Lake Tahoe environment. KVMR's Felton Pruitt gets the latest from the head of the organization that is leading the charge against the development. We're talking with Tom Moores. He's the executive director of Sierra Watch, who has been keeping a watch over our beautiful areas like Lake Tahoe. And uh, we just finished the revised draft environmental impact report and public comment period on this project a couple days ago, although it, it gets very confusing, doesn't it? Well, there are some things that are confusing about this, and then there are some things that are abundantly clear. Uh, at this point, the owner of Palisades Tahoe Ski Resort is a huge conglomerate known as Altera Mountain Company, and they continue to try to force this development proposal on Lake Tahoe, but we're standing up to them um, to ensure a better future for our mountains. Now, Tom, didn't we do an interview like six months ago, and it seemed like you had won this case? Uh, that's right. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster. We have one. So Altera Mountain Company proposes to remake Tahoe with a series of high rises uh, and an indoor water park in Tahoe because they say there's nothing to do in Tahoe. And they originally filed for their development applications almost 12 years ago. And we've embarked on a grassroots effort to stop that project. We've engaged thousands of volunteers in a, in a real grassroots movement, and we've also pursued litigation to uphold basically state planning laws, and we did prevail in court. That was the great news last year. The bad news is that they came right back with the same project. And this is all on the plate of the Placer County Planning Commission? Well, it's a good, that's a good point. And, and in California, a lot of land use decision-making authority lies with with counties, and in this case, the Placer County Board of Supervisors. They're really the decision makers here. They approved this development back in 2016, in spite of overwhelming opposition. Those are the approvals that we uh, we got overturned. The, the California Court of Appeals um, basically ruled those approvals illegal, and the court required all those approvals to be rescinded. That was the great news six months ago, but then in a matter of weeks, uh, Altera Mountain Company came right back again with the same plan, <laughs> uh, and that's what they're they're trying to do and trying to get approved now. So you basically got to get your uh, whole mechanism back up again and fight one more time? Yeah, and, and, and I'll admit uh, there's a lot of shared frustration about Altera M Mountain Company trying to push the same rock up the same hill because there's a lot of us who, who think that we could do better, that we, if they could come to the table and work on a collaborative effort, we could probably come up with some kind of alternative that would allow them to do meaningful development, but also not threaten all the values of Tahoe. So there is a lot of frustration about that, but there's also a lot of resolve. Uh, again, there have been thousands of people who have joined us in this movement to keep Tahoe Truckee true, and they are undeterred. <laughs> people are really fired up. Um, just to put a fine point on it, you mentioned earlier that Earlier, I guess it was earlier this week, uh, we marked the end of the comment period. So when people could send in comment letters on the revised draft environmental impact report for the project. 
And we don't have a total number yet. I hope to get one sometime this week, but we're quite sure that there have been more than a thousand letters submitted by citizens on this project. And that probably sets a record in the history of California planning. We think that more people have uh, weighed in on this proposal than maybe any other in the history of the state. And I think that's a really encouraging indication that people are not going to stand by. So does this mean there's going to be another whole round, years and years of planning commissions and board of supervisors meetings on this again? Sadly, they seem like they're, they're all aboard for the same experience again. So yes, we're in for another round of likely planning commission hearings, Placer County Board of Supervisors hearings, which, you know, the good news is that those are opportunities for the public to be involved. Again, I'll admit there's shared frustration that it feels like Altera is signing up for another 10 years of conflict over Tahoe. But to put it bluntly, they're they're losing. There is no indoor water park in Olympic Valley. Well, uh, thank you for all your information on this. It's it's certainly an ongoing project and story. I mean, I've been covering this for at least 10 years now on KVMR. And uh, here we are in 2023 in February talking about it still, Tom. Yeah. And, and again, what we really want to achieve is an outcome that ensures the long-term future of Olympic Valley, of Tahoe, of the Sierra Nevada. That's Tom Morris, the executive director of Sierra Watch. Thanks for your time, Tom. Thanks to KVMR. The lowest unemployment rate in half a century would seem to be a signal that the economy is strong, right? Well, not necessarily. Apparently, there's more to the story. And if a political tug of war results in the country being unable to pay its debts, the threat to the economy cannot be overstated. That's the word from economist Gary Zimmerman in this conversation with KVMR's Paul Emery. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Okay, so the Fed policymakers met, and what did they do with their interest rate targets? And were you surprised? Well, Paul, I I was not surprised they raised the uh, target interest rate. You know, even with signs that the inflation rate has slowed down over the past six months, the Fed policymakers are still looking at and concerned about the rapid real growth in the fourth quarter for the economy and the continued tight labor market conditions. The unemployment rate, for example, fell to 3.4% in January. That's the lowest unemployment rate in over 50 years. So their concerns about slowing down inflation is certainly consistent with their action of raising the Fed Fund's target interest rate by a quarter of a percent or 25 basis points and moving it up to the range of four and a half to four and three quarters. Remember, it was zero a year ago, essentially. When we spoke uh, in January, you indicated that you thought the preliminary GDP number released last week for the fourth quarter would be on the strong side. In your opinion, how did that turn out? Well, Paul, the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now model that uh, I was looking at turned out to be pretty accurate. Uh, in mid-January, based on incomplete data um, that was available, the model was showing an estimate of 3.5% annual growth rate for GDP or inflation-adjusted output uh, for the last quarter of 2022. And the, the initial published data for the fourth quarter real GDP came in at 2.9%. That's a pretty strong growth rate when average is only about 2% annual rate. You know, however, you know, based on that same model, um, looking at data through January, 
Um, you know, the same model is showing the economy expanding much more slowly in the first quarter of this year, you know, less than a, a 1% annual rate of, of real growth. Well, Gary, we've spoken about the risk to the economy this year resulting from the need to raise the national debt ceiling. That's big in the news. What what happened if the debt ceiling isn't increased and the federal government can't borrow to finance the deficit? Well, yes, Paul. I think the political gamesmanship over raising the debt ceiling is probably the most dangerous risk facing the economy in 2023. And you know, as an economist, it's you know completely unnecessary. You know, if the U.S. defaults on any part of the 31 trillion in national debt, the results will be catastrophic. It will precipitate a U.S. and global financial crisis, um, serious recessions in the U.S. and major global economies. And there's no economic reason for it to happen. Okay, Gary. How can the government pay back the $31 trillion national debt? Well, the reality is that the U.S. government has been running deficits since the days of Alexander Hamilton in the late 1700s. You know, unlike you or me, the government may go on forever. And if a government can borrow at low interest rates and pay the interest on their debt obligations or bonds and maintain the Treasury's excellent credit rating, there there is no reason to pay off that debt. And the U.S. Treasury certainly meets all these criteria today. Uh, moreover, that you know, $31.4 trillion of debt also plays a critical role in the global financial system. Banks, financial institutions, pension plans, you know, many of our IRA and 401k plans, you know, ha- are, have some investments in U.S. Treasury bonds or debt. Uh, and billions of U.S. Treasury bonds and debt are traded every day in the financial market because these Treasury bonds are considered a risk-free asset. Gary, can just the threat of a default cause a problem for the Treasury's ability to borrow at low interest rates? Absolutely. A U.S. default was considered out of the question um, because for almost 250 years, the U.S. has never defaulted on its borrowings or bonds. Um, Thus, you know, again, U.S. Treasury debt was considered to be risk-free asset by U.S. and global investors and financial institutions, and they were willing to buy U.S. Treasury bonds, even though they pay a lower interest rate compared to corporate or other bonds, um, because, you know, again, the Treasury's default premium was, was near zero. You know, and that excellent credit rating is critical for the Treasury to be able to borrow. Remember, also, the Treasury also needs to borrow constantly, uh, both when they issue new bonds and when they have existing bonds that mature, they need to refinance those as well. Um, so, the, you know, the recent debt ceiling threats are causing concerns that the U.S. could default. And so, as you asked, Paul, that just the threat of causing the Treasury to default will cause financial markets to add a risk premium to the interest rates. Treasury has to pay when it borrows. That that happened in 2011. And, um, you know, and if the threat actually leads to a default, the Treasury will not be able to borrow at all for a while. And the cost of borrowing will soar as interest rates on Treasury bonds and the cost of refinancing rise. And, you know, so the deficit will also increase and, and interest rates everywhere will rise because there'll be lots of problems going throughout the financial system. Well, with that, Gary, uh, that's it for our report for today. The other part of our report is you're going on vacation and uh, have a wonderful time. Thank you very much. See you and talk to you in March. (laughs) You bet, Gary. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Federal Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, 
where he teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for Tuesday, February 7th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. And Weiss Landscaping, with over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture design and installation. Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go Weisslandscaping.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.